This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. At the Turn is brought to you by Vice Golf. Vice is a German company that makes premium quality golf balls for half the premium price. The Pro and Pro Plus were awarded a gold medal on Golf Digest's annual hot list, making Vice the only small company to win the magazine's highest award. Use the promo code TURN when you check out at vicegolf.com to get free shipping. That's promo code TURN. Golf balls shouldn't cost more than the round of drinks afterwards. What's your vice? This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Welcome to another edition of At The Turn. Wow, I've had quite a day. Nick and I are going to discuss some wonderful golf topics. Nick, how are you today? Joe, I'm good. Um, I'm excited for this. I'm excited for you to tell the fans why you are late for our recording of At The Turn. So yeah, let's just, so we, let's just get right into it. Sure. We were supposed to record 75 minutes ago, and I was unable to attend because I was participating in the first annual Rip City Cornhole Tournament. I have a yes. problem with I have a problem with when people say first annual. It actually really, really, really bothers me. It is the inaugural. Not until next year does it become an annual event. So you're just just humor me. Until I say you're at the inaugural cornhole event, please. I was about to argue you on your point, but I think it's very valid that once you get to second, it is an annual. And when it's the first year, it is an inaugural. You're just doing it. It's just something that you're doing until it's a, until you do it every year for more than one year. It's just something that you're that you just happen to be doing at that point in time. And it just bothers, it just drives me crazy. I don't know why. It's just a little pet peeve of mine. I'm sorry. This this episode's not even a minute old and we're already off the rails. No, I think it's great. I I, I like where you're going. Um, but that's where I was. It was supposed to go from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific time. It did not. Uh, my so basically, we were on the roof of the Moda Center, the parking garage. The Moda Center is where the Portland Trailblazers play. Rip City is a nickname for the Portland Trailblazers for folks that aren't familiar. And so it was a tournament. I mean, cornhole, you're just 
on opposite sides. You're throwing beanbags into three particular holes, and you hope you can outgrow the other bro. And <laughs> I did it with the co-hosts of, so for folks of At The Turn, for fans, patrons of At The Turn that aren't familiar, I host a uh, co-host talk show on local Portland television called Blazers Outsiders. We talk about the Portland Trail Blazers, and so that was our affiliation with the team. We went down there, and it was a double elimination tournament, and there were a few sodas drank, a few alcoholic beverages, and we tossed beanbags and did better than we thought we were going to. We won our first three matches, and all of a sudden, we're in the semifinals. It's 3 p.m. I text Nick and say, so, well, I think I called you, actually. Yeah. Said, Nick, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm not going to make it. So several beals later and five matches later, the Blazers Outsiders were semifinalists, <laughs> third, third runners up in the uh, first annual Rip City, excuse me, inaugural Rip City Cornhole Tournament. We didn't win, but I feel like we performed very well and uh, we met a lot of fans out there. It was uh, a lot of fun. Joe, I, I do love cornhole and cornhole tournaments, but the, just the biggest problem, you know, in the modern cornhole game is slow play. Yeah. <laughs> was truthfully a problem because we were supposed to start at 1130 and the first games didn't go up to like 1147. We were behind all day. And as a result, I just got home an hour ago and it's much later than it was supposed to be when we started this episode. So uh, thank you for humoring me. It was, uh, it was awesome. But Nick, the, uh, Topics of our show, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the rundown right now. We've got a good program. We're going to discuss the Ryder Cup. It's a really good period to discuss that event. because Basically, there is a two-week lull between when the United States team has determined the eight players that have qualified through points and then who Jim Furyk is going to pick as his captain picks and the European team still going through qualifying. So we're going to speculate a little bit about that later on. Nick had a very fun interview with the superintendent of Wolf Creek Golf Club in Nevada. He uh, used to work at Bethpage Black as well, the site of a future Ryder Cup. So Nick will be a little bit later with that interview. Uh, but we're going to start with something I know nothing about. And all I see that you put here, Nick, is mayhem on a mass golf course. So I assume something terrible happened on a Massachusetts track. It did, Joe. And we've talked, it's funny because we've talked about, I, I moved to Massachusetts um, back in the spring and we've talked about some of the crazy golf course experiences I've had since I've lived out here, just trying to find a course and some of the weird things. Like one day it rained like a little bit and the whole entire course shut down and just kind of kind of some weird things in the golf course. But I saw this headline and, and I think this takes the cake. So Joe, I'm just going to read you the highlights. First of all, um, the headline for this was Man bites off golfer's finger to knuckle at Massachusetts Golf Club. So I'm like, okay, first of all, WTF. Like, how does that even happen? So apparently an argument between two golfers at a Massachusetts Golf Club turned bloody. One man bit off the other player's thumb, Joe, down to his knuckle. Firefighters got to the scene, discovered the victim had one of his thumbs bitten off down to the knuckle. And <laughs> a 47-year-old was arrested. He was charged with mayhem, which means malicious intent to maim or disfigure the charge carries up to 20 years in prison now apparently two foursomes got into an argument on friday 
evening. So, I mean, you can do the math as to what other extracurriculars were taking place. Um, I would, I'm just going to speculate on this one because why not? That's what we do. I'm going to guess there was a lot of alcohol involved. One group was hitting into another group. There was probably some slow play involved. I don't know if you had an incident like this at your cornhole tournament. Um, I'm sure there was some sort of altercation. They must have been wrestling around on the ground because I don't know how else you would bite somebody's thumb off. I mean, you're not just going to grab their hand and and bite it when you're just standing there. But, oh, my goodness, Joe. (laughs) What? I mean, there are definitely times where you can – hang around Twitter or Instagram and you'll see the occasional video of a couple of people like wrestling on a tee box in some course <laughs> down in Florida, just, just being crazy. So you see this stuff happen occasionally, but to not only bite a finger, but bite the finger that is the most valuable finger on the human hand. And this dude <laughs> chomped it off for God knows what reason. Like, okay. Even if there was some sort of like infidelity involved, I can't imagine that biting the thumb off of the person who committed this sin against me would be the first thought that I would have in my head. That's got to be quite the chomp to bite another man's finger off. Like, what? I don't know. Um, I I have to imagine that was the kind of thing where this probably was boiling over over the course of a round where this group was behind another group. And um, I mean, it's, it's gotta be one group was playing slow. One group was hitting into them. And that can't be it, Nick. He's been what else could off. it be, Joe? What else could it be? You think it was just like, you see somebody who you got some beef with from something else. You don't think it was golf related. No, I think there are other things playing into this than just golf. Who are willing to bite and come <laughs> off. There is something going on beyond, oh, man, we're on 13T. These guys have been hanging us up all day. I'm going to go over to the tee box, <laughs> chop this guy's thumb off, and I think that's the best way for them to speed up. That's, well, like, what if know, they're on a par three and they're, like, hitting into them? So they're on the, they're on the putting green, and the group behind them just decides to tee off while they're putting. Mm-hmm. One of their tee shots get, gets close, and mm-hmm. the offending guys drive up in their carts, as they're coming off the green putting, instead of being like, hey, man, what's that about? He just, come <laughs> off. That's what you're supposed to do. That's, that's how this is playing out in my head. Man. I mean, you live in Massachusetts. What are the people like out there? Are they just savages? Um, God, apparently. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I've had some good, I, I got to say, I've had some really good experiences at golf courses in the last six weeks. Um, was going on golf now, playing new courses, having some really friendly people, you know, greet us and welcome us to their courses. Um, so this is this is definitely out there. I, I don't know. I mean, who knows what the cause of this was, but I just I felt like we had to talk about it. <laughs> I think it's been a wonderful topic. Um, do you want to move on to some Ryder Cup stuff? Yeah, let's talk about the Ryder Cup, Joe. You seem hesitant. Do you want yeah, to talk about the I thought maybe we'd get into our interview and then um, after oh. the interview, kind of cap it off with some Ryder Cup, with some really get into the Ryder Cup. Well, you know what we've done? All we've done is just create a nice organic tease right here. So I think that's, I think that's the way to go. Um, and I, I, I talked to Scott Del Pierre. He's the superintendent at Wolf Creek Golf Club. And I got I to gotta give Scott some love because, first of all, I was sending him the link to join our recording and I was, I was doing something wrong. He wasn't getting the link. 
And then we got hooked up and he got the link. And then right then my, my power flash, like everything like turned off, turned back on real quick. So my whole internet had to restart and reboot. So he's like, Hey, send the link again. I'm like, I'm ready now. And I'm like, well, you got to hold on. So then it took like 10 more minutes and he hung tight for like 15 extra minutes while I was just like dinking and dunking around. So he was a great, it was great sport. And it was really good talking to Scott and learning about um, what it's like being a superintendent at uh, a couple of really cool golf courses. Like I said, he was at Beth page black and he's at Wolf Creek in Mesquite, Nevada. Now a really cool course. And we'll, we'll post some pictures of that course on our social media, but it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, so without any further ado, Joe, here is my interview with Scott Del Pierre. All right, joining us now is Scott Del Pierre. He is the superintendent of Wolf Creek, Wolf Creek Golf Club in Nevada. He uh, formerly worked at Beth Page, and he's a graduate of Michigan State University. And uh, Scott, I got to tell you, I was a University of Michigan fan my entire life. My dad's from Michigan, so uh, got a chance to go to a game in the Big House but a while back. But um, we'll have we'll just not talk about the impending college football <laughs> season. We should have a good interview here. Absolutely. Um, so starting off, you're at Wolf Creek Golf Club in Nevada, and I'm just going to go down this list of accolades that your course has received, um, and, and ask you what it's like, uh, you know, what your kind of ideal award is. So 2002, best new golf course from Golf Digest from 2003 to 2014, one of the top two or three courses in the entire state of Nevada from Golf Digest, Golf Week and Golf Magazine. One of the top 100 greatest courses you can play from 2003 to 2013. America's best golf course resort from Golf Week in 2005. And one of the top 10, place, top 10 best places you can play in the world from Wall Street Journal Europe. So obviously some high praise for Wolf Creek. Um, as a superintendent of that course, what's kind of the best award that you can get, you know, that makes you feel the most proud? Uh, you know, even uh... – all those accolades are great for us. It's more about uh, the people that keep coming back year after year, because we do have a special location where, you know, we like to think of ourselves a little bit like a destination golf course, similar to abandoned dunes where we're a little bit outside of the beaten path. Like you got to take a little bit of a ride from Las Vegas and, and whatnot. So for me is when we, when we got a packed tee sheet and uh, groups come year after year, after year, after year. Uh, and they, in the best compliment is, is when they come back and they see improvement year after year, after year. Um, and, uh, that, that, that to me is what, uh, really drives the engine for us. Cause it's more word of mouth than anything. I mean, everybody has their, uh, their marketing strategies through magazines or online or whatnot, but the bigger one is usually when you're sitting around the, sitting around the bar with your buddies and you're talking about a lot of different things and, the one thing that comes up is, is us. That's awesome. So what would you say your course is known for? Like what's the best draw, you know, what's, what's your, your proudest um, aspect of your course? Um, there's a lot of different things, you know, the, the layout and topography of the, the entire golf course. Uh, I can't think of another golf course probably in the world that's similar to us. Um, you can pretty much get on every tee box and have some glorious picture that you want to take. Um, and that's our biggest thing. Like we, the golf course itself is really good, but a lot of it is, is the scenery around it and the, the elevation changes 
from just tee box to fairways or fairway up to green or vice versa. Um, so it gets a little bit extreme. So some people, you know, a lot of people will give us, give us a little bit of a hard time on uh, making sure our cart brakes work pretty well. <laughs> I've, uh, I've had the opportunity to drive from Las Vegas up into Southern Utah and the, the territory there is just, it's unbelievable. The scenery. I mean, if you've never been in that part of the country, I mean, it just looks like a whole nother world um, with, I don't even know what you call them, the mountains, the plateaus, the, the, the dry, you know, they're just, it just looks like a, it looks like a painting, you know, it, it's unbelievable. When you have a, a golf course right in the middle of that, that's gotta be pretty cool, huh? It is. Yeah, definitely. Um, being the superintendent, what are the most common misconceptions of your job? Do people kind of think you do so, do something that's completely different from what you actually do on a regular basis? Uh, I mean, I think people in a, in a general knowledge thing uh, seem to think that, you know, it just happens that, you know, the golf course is there and it's conditioned the way it is that it just happened, like, overnight. Uh, when in reality, there's a lot of effort, a lot of planning, a lot of strategy that goes into it, especially like if we have, you know, for us, summer isn't really a big deal because it's 115 degrees outside. Not a lot of people play golf. We still get golf, but in the bookends of the season, spring and fall, that's our season. Um, and for us to be good day in, day out, we have to plan. We, we, we're three weeks in advance planning. Uh, based on the tee sheet um, so that we can accommodate every guest that comes out and make sure that they have a great time. And like I said earlier, word of mouth, it's, that's probably the biggest thing for us. Mm -hmm. uh, so you did spend some time working at Beth page, obviously mm -hmm. um, a, a very popular course there in New York, where it's four seasons. Now you're in Nevada. Like you said, it's golf year round. Um, what are the different challenges for working a course where you're in that four season climate compared to working a course where you're open year round and you're, you know, maintaining it for 12 months out of the year? Um, the biggest difference is staffing and how we operate. Uh, obviously I was on the black horse when I was at Beth page. So, uh, we were right in the middle of everything tournament wise, uh, in preparation really kind of for us there happened in the winter. We're here, preparations happen in the summer, um, and basically whenever we can we can get it. But it's a little bit different mindset because at Bethpage, everybody wants to be tested. They want to come out, they want to pay their money, and they want to get beaten to the ground. Now, Wolf Creek's a little bit different scenario with a di little different uh, personnel as far as people coming out to play. Uh, and you have to plan accordingly because comparatively um, – Technically, you got golf year-round, where Beth Page, right around mid-November to Thanksgiving, depending on weather, we were shutting down and, and going to 40-hour weeks, where here we could potentially be going 50, 55, 60-hour weeks in middle of December, uh, depending on how much play we have and what we're trying to accomplish. You made a really good point about Beth Page. Everybody wants to go there and get their ass beat and kind of like have that course just terrorize you. So what do you do as a superintendent when you're maintaining the course to make it, to give, give the people that challenge they're looking for? Like what are some kind of tricks of the trade to make it extra hard? Well, a lot of the thing is just a mental, um, you know, I, I grew up on a golf course. I've been playing golf forever. I'm a scratch golfer. So 
for me, the bigger, bigger thing was is in New York, it's a very competitive market. You can go to Bethpage, you can go down the street to Colonial Springs, you can go up the street to any private country club, you can go out east to the Hamptons where you got the three, you got the juggernaut out there. Um, but everybody has good course conditions and everybody wants your business and everybody wants to do great things. We're here, you know, in Mesquite, we have seven golf courses, but we are kind of uniquely located. It's still another uh, half hour to 45 minutes, depending on the golf course you're going to in St. George and then in down in Vegas. So um, here it's more about making sure people enjoy it because they do have to travel so far. Um, you know, at Bethpage rough in during season could have been three and a half, four inches, depending on what we had going on. You know, you always had the New York state open mid July here. We don't host any tournaments. So our rough is, um, right now we're at an inch, uh, and during season we'll probably be at an inch and a quarter. So that's a two and a half inch difference from what Bethpage does. So missing the fairway here isn't as big a deal as it is there. Mm -hmm. And that's where the mental grind comes in. Yeah. You mentioned one thing at Bethpage, you, you guys have a lot of tournaments and that's kind of part of um, the draws to play your tournament at your, at your difficult courses. So what do you do when you're setting up a course for a tournament? Is there anything special that goes into that when you're kind of picking out whole locations or picking out what kind of challenges you want to give the golfers? Is that kind of in your hands or, or how does that all play out? From an agronomy standpoint, it's it's about uh, making sure our growth rates are correct on our greens, uh, not necessarily the fairways. Always the fairways, tees are rough. All that just kind of falls in line with our regular maintenance. Uh, we may do a couple special things if we have a PGA Tour tournament or whatnot, but it, it comes down to planning out everything down to the day or week of the tournament for for fertilizer for pesticide. So that, you know, and the biggest one for us is moisture management. Um, obviously, there was a big special on uh, the Shinnecock stuff and, and the use of their meters. And that is a nationwide thing. That is, you can look at any tournament anywhere in the country. They're doing that. We, we try and take as much of the guesswork out, out of the equation as we can so that, you know, uh, it is easiest for us to perform the morning of, especially if, you know, let's just say you have a hiccup and you get a rainstorm or you get a windstorm and you got trees down, you got extra things you have to take care of on top of all that other stuff and still maintain the quality uh, and the challenge of the course. Yeah, I mean, uh, it seems like every time you watch a golf tournament, whenever there's some sort of inclement weather whether it's a lot of rain or too dry or you know whatever it might be they start talking about this, who the superintendent is and what their crew is doing what is it like when you're trying to manage unexpected weather conditions whether it is too much rain or not enough rain or um you know what's kind of the toughest issue to handle and you know which is what is that like when that falls into your lap um it's just a mad scramble on long island everybody you know east coast guys are it's a rat race um you're trying to do a hundred things at once and you're just trying to move and get, get stuff organized as best as possible. You try and do it as organized as you can, but sometimes it is just, it is shoot from the hip a little bit because you, you, I mean, New York state open first tee time, 7am or 7.30am you're in at three thirty four o'clock. You only, you only get three hours. 
And then once once they go off one and ten, everything's off limits until they hit it. And then once they hit that hole, it's it's done. And usually, obviously, we'd like to be done and out of the way well before that. But uh, it's trying to be coordinated. But at the same time, it's all about you know having some sort of game plan. But but it, it can change within ten minutes of you guys even leaving the shop. Mm-hmm. Um. I want to get you out of here on this. I want you to educate our listeners on uh, do's and don'ts of uh, how you should take care of the golf course as a golfer. What are some of your biggest pet peeves as a superintendent that players do um, to the, that don't help the course at all? Things that you could change if you could uh, tell people how to how to take care of the course a little better as a golfer. You know, um, for me, it was kind of a lesson I learned from my father right away. It was just you know, it's basically an investment that you're doing or a memory you're trying to, so take care of what you can take care of. So if you're taking divots, you're filling your divots. Uh, if you're, you know, if there's a ball mark fixed too, um, you know, for me, a lot of that stuff doesn't bother me because I've been in public golf for most of my career. And I can't say I've seen everything, but I've seen a lot of things. And if you let that get to you, uh, that that can really get under your skin and really kind of aggravate you and put you in a bad mood, which doesn't do it do you any good. Um, I don't really have any huge pet peeves, but it's just more about just take care of it, you know. Um, because on the flip side, that you know, uh, the flip side of that coin is the first people that'll go in to uh, have a complaint or have something is about ball marks or it's about if it's not being filled or it's, you know, small things that, you know, necessarily during a course of the day, it's kind of out of your control. You can't send guys out to fix ball marks during the middle of the day because then they ask, well, why is maintenance in the way? So, you know, for the most part, it's just, you know, take care of you. You know, if, if you leave them ball marks, if you're, you know, got big divots, just, just fill them in. Okay. Take care of them. Um- you mentioned you're a scratch golfer. Now I've heard if you want to play a lot of golf and get good at golf and be good at golf, the worst place you can work is a golf course. Is that not true? Um, it pretty much that's the truth. Uh, <laughs> it, because well, I mean, it's all about dedication. Like some some places, it well, dedication and expectations. Uh, some places the expectations aren't through the roof, where they're a little bit more laid back, and you know whatnot and that might may grant you more time to play golf and enjoy the golf course and what you're doing um you know you get to a place like beth page or even here wolf creek expectations are really high you you end up working 10 12 14 hours a day by the time you're done with that hitting range balls is out of the question (laughs) sounds good well scott we really appreciate you taking the time to join our show today Good luck out there at Wolf Creek. It sounds like the fall season is around the corner. Going to start picking up for you once again. So thanks again, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you later. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate it. As you know, At the Turn is brought to you by Vice Golf. Vice has won back-to-back gold medals on Golf Digest's hot list for basically being the best, best golf ball out there you can buy. And if you do choose to buy some Vice Golf Balls at vicegolf.com, use our promo code TURN, T-U-R-N, at checkout, and you will get free shipping anywhere in the United States. And Joe, because I'm such a nice guy, I decided I'm going to give away some Vice Golf Balls. And you want to know how you can get some Vice Golf Balls? Please let me know. Easy. 
All you have to do is review at the turn on iTunes before the end of the FedEx Cup playoffs. So you have time, but please do not wait. Wait, that's it? That's all I have to do? Well, you should also follow us on either Twitter or Facebook. So when we select the winner, we can get in contact with that person and find out what address to send their Vice Pro golf balls to. But that's all you got to do. Review us. We're going to pick the best review after the FedEx Cup playoffs. And we are going to reach out to that person, like I said, via Facebook or Twitter. And we're going to send them a box of Vice Pro golf balls. These are gold medal winning golf balls. Just review us on iTunes at the turn. All right. Just a few weeks away from the Ryder Cup in uh, Old Paris. La France Nationale is where they're going to be contending this Ryder Cup. Nick, the United States has won three Ryder Cups since 1993. It's not very good, Joe. Domination by Team Europe. Mm. Everyone is very excited on both sides. There was a lot of talk of, oh, this is one of the best European teams ever. They're going to be dominant. But you start to look at the teams on both sides and you think, oh, this is going to be a pretty square match. And at the same token, I look at it as well, and I think, you know what? There's a lot of studs on this U.S. team. So, uh, Nick, before we start breaking down the teams, do you have any initial thoughts looking at the rosters that we have so far? I do. I'm kind of – I think they're top-heavy. That's what I think, Joe, because I think there are some studs, and there's definitely some big names, but I'm a little concerned about the form that some of these players are going into the Ryder Cup on both sides. So I think the rosters are top-heavy because I think some of the guys who are going to get in are not – on their best form right now. Yeah. Um, why don't we break down both teams? Um, so let's start with the U.S. And from the United States perspective, the top eight guys who qualify via points are already locked in. So these these are eight members of the U.S. Ryder Cup team in order. Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Justin Thomas, Bubba, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, and... Somehow, Webb Simpson is an automatic qualifier for the U.S. Ryder Cup team. That's If Tiger would have finished one place higher at the PGA Championship, he would have been an automatic qualifier yeah. instead of Webb Simpson. <laughs> if, I mean, Jim Furyk must have been watching that PGA Championship thinking, oh my God, if Tiger wins, I don't have to waste a pick on him. He's just on my team, which is mm -hmm. incredible. But yeah, Webb Simpson makes it, and he actually, you know, Take it for what it's worth. The Wyndham Championship that just wrapped up today as we're recording. Webb Simpson finished tied for second in that. So, I mean, you know, congratulations. He dominated the Players' Championship. But, you know, it's Webb Simpson. So, for the U.S. team, at this point, those eight guys are locks. And there's going to be four captain's picks. So, Jim Furyk will announce picks over the next several weeks. So, Three picks are made after the second playoff event, which is Labor Day weekend, a couple of weeks from when we're recording, which is the Dell Technologies Championship. And the final pick is going to be made after the BMW Championship, which is the following week. So they kind of drag it out, make it in an American Idol-esque kind of reality show to <laughs> make it exciting for the folks watching the Golf Channel uh, at home. So, Nick, I'm going to run down real quick the top seven potential American picks. And a few of these are locks, but I'm just, run, gonna, I'm just gonna run them down real quick. These are folks that are not qualified on the US side. Tiger, Phil, Bryson DeChambeau, Xander Shoffley, Tony Finau, Kevin Kistner, and Matt Kuchar. And that is in the order of which they are currently in Ryder Cup points. So Tiger was just outside. I think he finished like 10th or 11th. 
and then Phil and so on. So Nick, hearing those names, in your opinion, who will be the first three picks that Jim Furyk makes? Well, I think it's pretty commonly accepted that Tiger and Phil are are locks to be captain's pick from Jim Furyk. So I think really Jim has to decide on two out of those other five, Bryson, Xander, Tony, Kevin, and Matt. Um, and that's that's where it's going to get interesting because Bryson DeChambeau looked really good up until the start of maybe the middle of July, and he has kind of struggled. He's shown some weaknesses in his game. He showed some some frustrations. Um, and obviously the Ryder cup is a huge pressure situation. So is that the kind of mindset you want to bring in there? Um, you know, Matt Kuchar's kind of struggle. I mean, it's just really hard to find the guys who are really on top of their game. in that list, I mean, Xander Shoffley, I think has been doing well lately. Um, and Jim Furyk played with Xander Shoffley. And was it, um, was it the Bryson PGA. at the PGA? Who was it? Yeah. Xander? And who else was it? Bryson? It was no. either Bryson or Tony, and it was kind of like I think it was Tony. It was Tony Fino. Yeah, it was like, oh, I wonder what this pairing's about. The Ryder yeah. Cup captain versus the two guys that are most likely to get that last pick on the Ryder Cup team. Like, I get it. It's cool. Like, it's fun. Like, oh, who's going to impress the captain? But at the same time, it's like, all right, PGA, you're not you're not fooling anybody. This is uh, it is what it is. Yeah. So, I think Bryson. If you're asking me to answer that question. I think Tiger, Phil, and Bryson are going to be those first three picks, but I'm less confident in Bryson. Um, we'll see what he does in, in the next couple of weeks, but uh, I think there's definitely some pressure on those those other five to to make a move here. There's still some a spot to be earned, I believe. Well, I think, well, first of all, Tiger and Phil, I think, are mortar locks. Like, for Jim Furyk not to pick Tiger after finishing in the top, what, six in the British Open – and then runner-up shooting a 64 on Sunday at the most recent major. It's like, besides Brooks Kepka, you can make an argument that Tiger Woods is the hottest golfer in the world right now. Like, take apart the Tiger Woods aspect of it. If you were to say, oh, who's performed the best in the biggest events, you'd probably say Brooks Kepka, maybe Francisco Molinari. And then you'd say, oh, yeah, Tiger Woods. And I think sometimes we forget that because he is Tiger Woods and we create him on a different scale. But it's almost working in reverse at this point because he has performed – so well in the second half of the season and even at Bridgestone when the word on the street was Tiger kind of phoned it in he was on vacation the week before um I just I just think Tiger Woods is probably one of the top five players in the world right now it just hasn't played enough tournaments to get him in that ilk I may be going crazy but again I had fun at the cornhole tournament and I think Tiger's playing fabulous golf so so who do you think those third and fourth picks are going to go to you're dodging so the question you're dodging your own question you're right. You're right. So it's definitely Tiger. It's definitely Phil. I think Bryson is a lock, in my opinion. Okay. Bryson, there's been a lot made of the fact that Tiger is really pro Bryson. He loves his unique approach to the game. And I started thinking about this when I was reading more articles about Tiger loving Bryson. Just thought, oh my God, could you imagine that team out there, Tiger and Bryson in a four ball? Like, the amount of analytics that would go into every single golf shot. Give me a mic on those two trying to take down, you know, Poulter and uh, whomever else he's paired with. Poulter and Fleetwood. Like, that, that sounds amazing. Give it me does. all of that. Joe, but let me ask you this before we, you know, I want to get back to your thoughts on some of these other picks, but let's get off the rails a little bit. Can yeah. Bryson handle the pressure of a Ryder Cup 
pairing, being with his idol Tiger Woods in that Ryder Cup situation, in his first Ryder Cup, when his game might not be exactly where he wants it to be? I think Bryson is the kind of cat where his unique approach with being so analytical, you know, having all of his irons be the exact same length, you know, his three iron is as long as his pitching wedge from a shaft perspective. He just thinks about the game a different way. And to your point, um, I'm slightly worried about it in the sense that he's never been in this spot yet. So I think you're right. I think it'll go one way or another. He'll either be the Ryder Cup hero and be like, oh my God, Bryson DeChambeau went forward on the Ryder Cup. Or he'll be a bit of a heel and go 0-2 on the team events and maybe like eke out a half in his singles. So I think it'll go one way or another. But I, if I had to bet on which way it would go, I would suspect that Bryson would be a very successful Ryder Cup player because he strikes me as like having a little bit of the Patrick Reed of like chip on his shoulder. People think of me differently. Um, I'm not going to be like the sexy Jordan Spieth or, or Justin Thomas. I'm just a guy who gets out there, hits it in the fairway, hits it on the green, makes putts. I use my window surface and analytics. I'm Bryson DeChambeau. Cool. Um, all right. So who do you got for that, for that last captain's pick then? I think it's really a two-horse race. Um, you know, Kisner and Kucher, a couple of fine Southern gentlemen, just a couple of great guys. Actually, did you see that story a few months ago about Kevin Kisner? No. So it was a story from a pro-am. And so it was the – so, okay, I'm going to try to recount that. I probably won't do a great job, but I'm going to try. Kevin Kisner was at a pro-am, and he was with all of his, you know, Southern boys like, you know, Daniel Berger – and, and all those guys, right? All those real Southern homies. Snedeker was probably there. So <laughs> was Baba there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. So they're, they're at a pro-am, and they're drinking a beer a hole. And they get on, like, the 11th or 12th tee, and Kisner is, like, three sheets to the wind. He is, he is bombed on the 12th tee. It's, like, a 240-yard par three over water. And there's something like eight skins on the hole. And so Kisner... <laughs> Kisner hits this three iron. It's just tracking the whole way. It hits it to like 10 feet. And so he has this putt to win like, I don't know, with all those skins and like rich businessmen and golfers, probably like $50,000 on the putt. <laughs> he hits this putt and he drains it and he just screams out for the masses. He says, this ain't a hobby, boys. <laughs> and so that, that came out like prior to the British. And so I was watching Kisner. I was like, I don't really want him to win. But I was also watching it through the lens of knowing that story. And I was like, oh, man, Kiz is out there. He doesn't have the Duffner dip, but he's got a little dip in there. And he just <laughs> and here's interviews. He's just like, I'm happy to be here. If he snuck it out over Molinari, I would have been stoked with that. All that being said, he's not going to make the right. <laughs> it's gonna That's be such an awesome story. Isn't that a great story, though? Yeah. So, uh. I I mean, in, in my opinion, Nick, I think it is Xander Schauffele. Um, He, even though he he ended up shooting the same score as Jordan Spieth in the final round of the British Open, which kind of gets obscured because Spieth was out of it so early. He was like three over right away, and so he wasn't really a factor. Schauffele ended up shooting three over, but he did hang in there tight. And if it wasn't for this crying baby in a carriage behind him, <laughs> maybe I just think it's him. I mean, Finau is very consistent, but Xander, I, I think Finau only has one win in his career, and Xander being a second-year guy 
won multiple events, including the Tour Championship, which is just the Tournament of Studs. It's everyone playing their best at the end of the year. He won that. So I think in Furyk's mind, if you flip a coin, Xander's more, more consistent. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I, I We'll have to talk about it in a couple of weeks uh, as to who I think out of Xander sure. and Tony. Uh, I can't give you an educated answer at this exact moment, but I think you're probably right on those those top three, Tiger and Phil for sure. And then Bryson, I think, has got a better chance than the rest of those guys to get in there. So it'll be interesting to follow, and we will definitely keep you updated every other week going into the Ryder Cup. So stay tuned. Yeah, and the European team we'll touch on as well um, real quick. Not as much buzz about it as the American team because we're not in Europe. So, Nick, real quick, um, the European team has had no qualifiers so far. So these spots are all up for grabs. Um, they do it a little bit differently than the U.S. They do points acquired on the European tour, and they also do something called world points. So basically, it's the top four qualifiers, the top four people who have uh, obtained points just on the European tour, and the rest is the world points. So essentially, European players who are from Spain, Ireland, Sweden, those countries, England, but they predominantly play in the PGA Tour. They don't want to penalize those players because they still have high finishes in those other tournaments. It's just not in Europe, right? So on the European side, the top four are Francisco Francesco Bolinari, who has won in Europe. He also won the British Open. Justin Rose, Cyril Hatton from Britain, and Tommy Fleetwood for the world points. John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Alex Noren, Ian Poulter. So it looks like from where the points are right now, even though there are a couple of European events to go until the Europe team is set with their automatic qualifiers. Uh, it's looking like those will be the rest. Maybe there'll be a change at the bottom of the world points, but those are the eight. So Nick, uh, first your thoughts on those eight players for Europe. Um, pretty solid. I mean, obviously, you know, Molinari just coming off that major, uh, victory. Tommy Fleetwood's been really, really strong. Uh, John Rahm, I think is, is just always a threat. Uh, Rory, I'm interested to see he's, he's, don't get me started on the playoffs. He's skipping oh, a no. playoff event um, to get his game into Ryder Cup form, um, which is Good. a bit of a red, red bit of a red flag for me. Um, Ian Poulter, I think, is also probably not on top of his game right now. So it'll be interesting to see. But he is he's a Ryder Cup legend, so that will be interesting to see. Sergio Garcia, he's on your list of the rest. Gosh, he is not having a good season. No, so. That'll be interesting. And I want to get back to, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of other thoughts on those European guys, but talking about guys not on top of their game, and I mentioned this earlier, Joe, going back to these these U.S. guys, Brooks Kepka, great. Dustin Johnson, great. Patrick Reed, great. You start getting down to the bottom of these guys who are already in. Bubba Watson, he's got some red flags for me. He, like, shot a 78 and missed the cut of the PGA Championship. Jordan Spieth has not been the best putter in the world, which was what he was doing when he was number one in the world. So there's a little bit of a red flag there. Ricky Fowler, he's suffering from an oblique injury. He There's some question marks for sure. Webb Simpson, as we mentioned earlier, if he didn't, if Tiger would have won the PGA and, and knocked him off that auto spot, are we talking about Webb Simpson even being in this event at all? Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, Phil Mickelson, we mentioned that he's going to be automatically in there. I'm not at all confident in putting him out in the Ryder Cup, you know, today or tomorrow. I mean, I know he'll get it together, but that's something he's going to have to do between now and then. So I think there's there's some really solid players in both these teams. But I think, as I said before, they're top heavy. 
there's a lot of question marks with the guys in those, you know, six through 12 spots. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying to an extent of the U S team that the top guys are just monsters right now, but at the same time, it's like, okay, out of those bottom three, four Watson, Spieth, Fowler, and Simpson, Webb Simpson's playing the best. So yeah. let's, let's just, Is that what you just, want. <laughs> here's my point. If we were to go out to the University of Idaho golf course and Webb Simpson was about to play Ricky Fowler, and I said, okay, Nick, put $1,000 on who you think is going to win this golf match. There is zero times out of 100 you would put it on Webb Simpson. That's not true. What? what? You would pick Webb Simpson over Ricky Fowler in that situation? I would give it some serious thought. I mean, okay, yeah, I might. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But, no, I see what you're saying. Like, you see what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. From the European perspective, uh, why don't we address the rest? So these are the folks that still have a chance to qualify as far as points are concerned, but um, are also going to be in consideration for a captain's pick. Paul Casey, Torbjorn Olesen, and he is a Dane like Captain Tomas Bjorn. So that's probably something that will play into the factor of him being a more likely than not a pick. Rafa Cabrera-Bello, who's been a very consistent international player for the last five years. The young Brit, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Just notorious villain, Sergio Garcia. Russell Knox. And Henrik Stenson, who has also had not a good season, but he is also Henrik Stenson. So I would say um, out of those four, you know, you're probably looking at Paul Casey as a, as a virtual lock. Him and Poulter are kind of vacillating between, you know, the um, last spot to get in the world points because they both play a lot in the U.S. I would think Olison is probably a lock as well because he's a Dane. Bayo has showed himself to be a very consistent player internationally. And then I think it's kind of a grab bag for the fourth spot. If he picks Sergio, I wouldn't be surprised because um, he has such a good Ryder Cup record. But if, you know, he, he went with an off-the-board choice, there's a lot of folks in the 20 range who um, are kind of random names that have played well, and perhaps they get a pick as well. So All right, Joe. Getting out, there's just one last question I, w- I want to ask you before we get off the Ryder Cup topic. If you're making that last captain's pick, do you want a guy who with a great Ryder Cup history like Sergio Garcia or Ian Poulter or Henrik Stenson, but they're not on top of their game right now if they've been shaky of late? Or do you want a guy who maybe has never been there before but's played really, really well in the last six months? Yeah, I mean, I have no idea what the records show of like – a 40-year-old stalwart, like what did, what did Tom Watson do in the early 90s in the Ryder Cup? I, I have absolutely no idea. But from my perspective, I want a guy who's young, who's who's never been in the Ryder Cup, and he gets the confidence of his captain and wants to go out there and just smoke fools. Like if Matthew Fitzpatrick or Eddie Pepperell, who also had a great British Open, like if one of those young Brits got in there and was like, yeah, I picked you because you're a stud and you're going to go smash some Americans – and they go out and shoot 4-0, I think that would be a big buoy in Thomas Bjorn's cap. If you pick someone like Henrik Stenson, it's almost like a no-win situation. Because if Henrik does what he's supposed to, and he goes like 1-1-1 for the Ryder Cup, it's like, all right, Henrik was on the team, and he got a point, and he did what he was supposed to, that's fine. But if you get someone who's on fire right now, then you perhaps have a chance to stomp the Americans. And even though the American team, I think, is much better than the European team, um, I would be surprised if the the American team won. I I, I really think Europe is going to win. 
Wow, that's interesting. Well, we'll we'll talk more about it on our next episode um, as these teams kind of take shape a little bit more, and you know we can dive into you know, maybe some of the Ryder Cup records and things like that. So it'll be interesting to watch develop over the next uh, four weeks. So Nick, I tried to come up with a would you rather. I don't know if I did a very good job. I was you did not. <laughs> no, I didn't. Great. So basically, what I was thinking of was you know Tiger Woods going into the 2019 season. And the major tournaments, um, I think a lot of people would be surprised if you're going to get a ton of like talk of, oh, will Tiger win one major the next season? And people betting on that as if it's like a foregone conclusion. So I, I don't think we're at that place. But I think there's enough Tiger fever that he left us with after the PGA that I'm going to pose this question. And I'm going to change it a little bit from what you're looking at in the paper. Oh, okay. <laughs> Would you rather have Tiger win the Masters or any other plausible golf scenario? Is there anything that would possibly compete with Tiger winning the Masters? From a professional golf standpoint, no. There's nothing, right? No, there there is nothing. So, um, no. Wait, wait I, mean, I mean, that what what would be what would be greater than than Tiger Woods winning the Masters, like in the next golf season? Well, what's you almost have to take out like if you were to separate the celebrity from the accomplishment, then you could say something is greater. Like if you were to say this pure golf thing was more impressive than Tiger winning the Masters, and then you can throw a little bit of a social aspect aspect to it as well. Like the biggest golfer marketing wise in the world besides Tiger Woods is Rory McIlroy. If Rory McIlroy won all four majors next season. That would be a bigger deal than Tiger winning the Masters, in my opinion. I mean, it would. They would so. I don't, I don't think it would be, Joe. I don't think it would be because wow. if Tiger Woods won the Masters, like the world as we know it would change. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a fact. If Tiger Woods won the Masters, oh my God! Like I, the world would change. It would not Climate be the same. Change. Climate change would cease to be a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I just believe that, and I don't think the golf world needs a new icon. I think the golf world needs its icon to have chapter two or three oh or whatever you want to call it. Chapter two, chapter thirty-six. <laughs> Here's the yeah, thing, Joe. I mean, there, there will be nothing. Yeah, lay it on me. All right. Sitting here, we're recording this on August 19th, 2018, in the year of our Lord. Tiger currently has 14 majors, but by the time you're listening to this, it could be much more than that. You know where I'm going with this. Do you sit here today thinking Tiger Woods will eclipse Jack Nicholas's record of major championships? No, I don't. But You don't? I don't think he'll win 19. I don't think he'll win 18, but I do think he'll win more than 14. I do think... I do think Tiger Woods will win. Maybe this is a bet you'll take. I think you know where I'm yeah. going with this. I think Tiger will win a major before Ricky Fowler does. Oh, that's sexy. Uh, no. You want, you're not going to take that? I mean, Ricky Fowler has won zero majors, and Tiger's won 14. I don't feel like that's a very good bet from my perspective. Okay. So you, so you think he will? Yeah. I actually do think – like. I am now at a point where I'm like, yeah, I'd be surprised if Tiger does win a major next season. 
if it wasn't for Brooks Kepka and him being like such a unique person in golf and like what he's accomplished is also very unique, like even apart from anyone of this generation, Brooks Kepka has to be the favorite going into the Masters. But That's unless I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate those words. <laughs> no, you're right. I just, you're right. I just, this is not exciting to hear. I mean, it's not, but he's also such a dude. Like, I would be very surprised if he doesn't get to like six majors. Maybe he'll win like 10 tournaments and six of them will be majors. I think that's Brooks Kepka. Like, did, was there any, there was, even though Tiger played great, there was never a point in the PGA Championship where I did not think Brooks Kepka was going to win. No, there was because Brooks started off slow on Sunday, but by the time Tiger was threatening, Brooks had already gotten back. You know, he'd already gained the reins again. So, yeah, you're yeah. right. No, you're absolutely right. Um, but he also could be to me one of those I don't want to say flash in the pan, but I guess for lack of a better term, because I mean, we had these same sentiments with Adam Scott five years ago and Rory McElroy right after that and Jordan Spieth right after that. And those guys have still been great but they have certainly fallen off from what our expectations were coming off their major i'm going to say something that may make your point but i'm trying to make it against your point perfect out of the last six majors brooks kepka's played in you know how many he's won he's won three of them <laughs> won three of those majors yeah. but that's that's making my point because we were at the oh. same point with rory and jordan spieth in the last five years where it's like oh my god he's winning every other major He's the best player in the world right now. The next 15 years is going to be all about this guy. And while they have obviously still been great, I'm not knocking those guys at all, but you can't deny they've dropped down a half peg from what the expectations were when they were at the end of their like major winning tear. But right now, so, right now, if you had to say who's going to win more majors, Justin Thomas or Brooks Kepka, I know he's got a lead. Who do you like? I, I would take Brooks because he's got three right now. And I think Justin Thomas certainly can get four or five or six, but you got to go out there and do it. And we've been waiting for Ricky to do it and he hasn't done it. And if, you know, yeah. we've been, so I don't know, I would take Brooks because I don't know that Brooks is going to get too many more. I mean, he might, but he might, he might finish at three. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But that means that JT has got to get three more to pass him real quick. Random thought on Ricky. Um, I think I've had enough of Ricky hanging out by the 18th green after his round and congratulating the champion. Like Ricky, you're a great guy. Everyone likes you, but um, maybe, maybe just win a major, win a major. It, is it one of those things where like he did it the first time and it was such a huge media deal, you know, and then he did it again. And now it's like, if he doesn't do it, he's, it's like, you know, being rude to the guy who oh, wins. Yeah. Like, oh, Ricky, Ricky didn't wait yeah, for me. Oh, he waited yeah. for JP. He didn't wait for me. Like, is that what it is? He has to do it or else it's like a, a snub on the winner? I guess so. It, it, it just feels kind of tired at this point. Like, yeah. just be happy being Ricky Fowler. Maybe win a major at some point. We still love you. Um, Nick, I'm ready to close the show down. But before we do, do you have anything else? Well, there's one more thing on the rundown sheet. It says surprise for Nick. So okay. I, I can't wait to see what this is. I'm very excited. So let me give you some backstory. I mentioned the fact earlier that I co-host a television show called Blazers Outsiders. We have tremendous fans. We also have tremendous trolls. One of our biggest trolls is a national sports writer. His name is Corbin Smith. And he loves to give us a hard time on Facebook and Twitter 
I'll say more than a hard time. He's wildly inappropriate most of the time and stuff we can't even say on the air, but we appreciate his support. And he has been tweeting me because he knows he likes golf. He knows about the at the turn podcast. He's been tweeting me constantly about this Tiger Woods book. When is this Tiger Woods book going to be discussed? Joe, have you read this Tiger Woods book? I want to talk about it with you. So, Nick, I don't know if you're familiar with this. About four or five months ago, a book was written on Tiger Woods. Essentially, uh, there's some golf in there, but I think it's predominantly about the most seedy aspects of Tiger Woods' life. The affairs, the, the drugs, the divorce, all the, all, the, all the crazy things in his life. And it was apparently a showstopper. So, I'm making a bunch of people happy. What I did was I ordered two copies of the Tiger Woods book. One is coming to my house. One will be at your house tomorrow. So when most what? people, it will be at Nick's house already. And what I want to do is I want us to read this book. And I want to have Corbin Smith on At The Turn. I want to have a special episode that is just dedicated to this book. I want to have At The Turn Book Club. At The Turn Book Club. At, with, with, with Nick, Joe, and Corbin. We'll discuss this book at great length. We'll highlight passages. And I encourage our fans to go out and get the book as well. What's and we will, we will prepare. It, you know what it's called? I don't. Tiger Woods. That's awesome. You'll be able to find it. It's called Tiger Woods. <laughs> Just do a Google search for Tiger Woods, and it'll come right up. Come <laughs> it'll up. Be the first thing. We'll fans to get the book, read it. Nick and I will do a long podcast with Corbin. He's a very, very funny writer. Really, he truly is. He'll. I think he'll be a great podcast guest. It may be the first time on At the Turn we have an explicit tag on our podcast, but. I think we'll be better for it. Corbin hates golf, fascinated by Tiger Woods. So I think it's going to be a really good program. Nick, I'm excited for you to get the book. Can't wait. Do you like the idea? Oh, I can't wait. This this is this is a great surprise. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I have plans tomorrow night. Um, by the way, quick sidetrack, shout out to the Bryant women's soccer team. My wife's assistant coach there. They open their season tomorrow against Quinnipiac. So I will be at that game tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow night. Um, going on a little, uh, going out to dinner afterwards. Um, uh, so I, I probably won't get too much reading done tomorrow, but after that, I'm going to clear my schedule and, uh, and get this book, uh, on my nightstand. That's good. Quinnipiac. That's the school of poles. All right. I don't know what that means. <laughs> you always hear a Quinnipiac pole, a Quinnipiac pole. That's what they do there, Nick. Quinnipiac. They're, they, they, they do the poles and apparently play soccer too. We'll see. Hopefully not very well. Love, I love when Nick doesn't know what I'm talking about. He just wants to immediately jettison forward yeah. and not. <laughs> um, so anyway, Nick, you have some, uh, some, some some contests and something else for the people. Well, I think by now all of the fans have already gone on iTunes and reviewed at the turn to enter themselves into a chance to win a box of Vice Pro golf balls, and clearly. After they did that, they went and made sure they were following us on Facebook or Twitter. So when we pick their review as the best review and we want to send them the balls, we can get in touch with them. So, yes, I think everyone has already reviewed us on iTunes. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for reviewing us on iTunes. Uh, we appreciate your patronage, and uh, we'll catch you next time on At The Turn. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn.